Good evening and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You're with Talk, we're on TV, we're on radio, we're online and of course we're on your smart speaker as well. Coming up, it's bye-bye the Conservative Party, it's been nice knowing you. A new poll suggests an election will wipe out, even worse than John Major's defeat in 1997. Young vulnerable girls were left at the mercy of Rochdale grooming gangs thanks to the failings of Manchester Police and local councils. And taxpayer-funded Gary Lineker reposts a call to ban Israel from football. Time the BBC stopped giving him our money. Good evening, Britain, and welcome to the brand new 2024 version of the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. We've got a massive show for you tonight to kickstart the week. We've got the stupendous Maggie Oliver on the shameful report out today on that horrendous grooming gang story. They're still roaming the streets of Britain. We've got the unimpeachable Peter Hitchens on why Britain's foreign policy in Ukraine and the Middle East is a busted flush. And we've got the king of election news, Sir John Curtis, on just how bad the Tories are going to be spanked in the ballot box this year. That's not all, of course. We've also got the exclusive they all wanted. Yvonne Tracy, the former sub-postmistress who's standing as an independent against the dim leader, Sir Ed Davey. He still hasn't said sorry, and she's about to chase him out of his seat. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. We're about to set fire to Blue Monday. <laughs> Certainly Blue Monday for Rishi Sunak. I'm going to ask you, is there anything he can do to stop the Tories facing electoral annihilation? You can get in touch with me. The Republic's phone lines and mailroom are open for business. Call us on 0344 499 1000. Text the word TALK plus your message to 87222 or tweet me at TalkTV using the hashtag IROMG. Now, it appears even more trouble is on the horizon for the Tories. The results from a YouGov survey forecast the Tories will retain just 169 seats in the next election, the biggest drop in MPs in over 100 years. This would give Keir Starmer a 120-seat majority, making for an electoral wipeout on the scale of John Major's infamous 1997 defeat. And I'm old enough to remember it. Can the Tories turn it round? Let's ask political scientist Sir John Curtis. Sir John, welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Um, an auspicious moment for you to uh, to set the, the ball rolling, really, on this electoral year that we're about to enter. Um, and it don't look great if you're Rishi Sunak, does it? No, it doesn't. But the honest truth is it hasn't looked great for Rishi Sunak no. for quite a while. Yeah. Uh, the fundamental problem facing uh, the Prime Minister is that around... 25% on average in the most recent polls, 26% in today's poll from YouGov that's got so much publicity. Um, support for the Conservatives is little different from what it was in the immediate wake of the resignation of Liz Truss. And the hope of Tory MPs that Mr Sunak will be able to reverse the damage that was inflicted on the Conservative Party, first of all by Boris Johnson and Partygate, and secondly, by Liz Truss and her fiscal event, that uh, hope has largely not been fulfilled. Insofar as progress was being made last year, a lot of it seemed to be thrown away when the Conservative Party failed to fall behind the Privileges Committee report of the House of Commons that uh, uh, judged that Boris Johnson had misled the House of Commons. Support for the Conservative Party uh, fell back at that point, and the truth is they've been bouncing it around the 25% mm. mark uh, pretty much ever since. Yeah. And there's a lot of comparisons being made to 1997 and, and John Major's loss to Tony Blair. Is there something similar about just the fact that back in 97, people were fed up, they'd had enough of the Tories, they'd had enough of, um, you know, John Major and his kind of back-to-basics campaigns and all the other things that went horribly wrong, and they just wanted somebody different? And it seems a bit like that now, doesn't it? Oh, sure. I think undoubtedly this has been a parliament 
in which the Conservatives have succeeded in losing support rather than necessarily a parliament in which Labour have uh, gained the enthusiasm of the electorate. But, you know, two obvious parallels between now and the 92 to 97 parliament. The first is that, of course, the uh, Conservatives' prospects were damaged in the end permanently by Black Wednesday in September 1992, when the financial markets turned on the pound, uh, uh, which was at that stage still pegged to the European exchange rate mechanism. And equally, the financial markets turned against the government uh, in the wake of Liz Truss's fiscal event when the markets were concerned about seemingly unfunded tax cuts. And the truth is that governments that preside over uh, financial difficulty in the markets struggle to survive at the ballot box, even if as was true between 92 and 97, but it's not true now, uh, the economy was doing quite well. The second uh, obvious parallel is that the Conservative Party proved to be uh, continually divided during the course of the 92 to 97 Parliament. The Conservative Party is clearly very heavily divided now. It's between those who think that the party has grown the state too much, it's too much taxation, too much spending, um, versus those who think, no, no, we have to accept the the pandemic, and equally divided between those who think the culture wars issues are important, including immigration, and those who again take a more centrist view. So the party is deeply internally divided. It has a difficult economic backdrop, and all of that is terribly, terribly relevant of the 92 to 97 parliament. Yeah. And it doesn't seem as if they can get agreement on anything, really. We've got uh, the Rwanda vote tomorrow. Um, I can't work out exactly how many different factions there are, but there's at least four or five of them who all want something different, none of which can actually be satisfied. And you've even got Lee Anderson, um, the, uh, the, the deputy chairman of the party, saying he's going to vote uh, with the rebels. Well, the truth is that the government's decision in December to try to uh, bear down on the issue of immigration has proven to be no more successful than all of the other various initiatives that the government engaged in, starting with trying to uh, loosen somewhat policy on net zero, with putting back the date on uh, phasing out of gas boilers and uh, petrol and diesel cars back in September. And we had a whole litany of uh, various initiatives thereafter. None of them succeeded in moving the polls. Indeed, potentially the problem with the immigration issue, apart from the fact that, as you said, it's opened up a division um, within the parliamentary party itself, is that so far, although, yes, it's an issue that concerned voters, yet although lots of people who voted Conservative in 2019 uh, said they felt that immigration was too high, both legal and illegal, it wasn't clear that this was a particularly important factor in explaining the willingness or otherwise of 2019 Conservative voters to vote for the party again. Some signs However, that in the wake of the government's decision to focus on immigration, it has become something of a losing issue for the party. In other words, by focusing on immigration and on focusing on a subject where, frankly, the government is struggling to make any substantive progress, it may have done no more than remind voters of something they're not very happy about, rather than impressing them with evidence that perhaps the government is finally trying to, to get the numbers down. Mm. Yeah, well, I think if they'd managed to be successful at some kind of immigration control, it might have been a good idea. But since they haven't really done that, it means absolutely nothing. Final question for you, Sir John. What about reform? Um, how do you see them panning out? They've run high in the polls before, but there's a couple of by-elections this week. We've never quite seen them getting at the ballot box the 10 or 11% that they say they want to get. You're certainly right that uh, reforms so far in the parliamentary by-elections of last year 
did not really put on the kind of performance we might expect, given their standing in the national opinion polls. That said, that didn't do the Conservatives any good because, of course, in three of those by-elections, they suffered over 20% swings uh, to the Labour Party anyway. The evidence certainly, however, is that reform are now eating significantly into the Conservative vote. Uh, indeed, amongst those who voted Conservative in 2019, for every one of them who's now saying they'll vote Labour, there's another one who say they will vote reform. And that's the one thing that's changed uh, since uh, Liz Truss vacated office. Then the Conservative Party was losing votes clearly primarily to Labour. Now the losses are a mixture of losses to Labour and to reform. And to that extent, at least reform are to some degree now providing Labour with competition for the votes of disgruntled Conservative voters. But of course, for the most part, those who are going to relieve, as the YouGov poll emphasised, uh, are going to reform, as the YouGov poll today emphasised, are primarily those who still believe in the Brexit project and voted Leave very strongly in 2016. Mm, indeed. So John Curtis, thanks very much indeed for some very interesting insights there into why nobody really wants to vote for the Tory party, do they? I mean, that seems to be their basic problem. I'm now joined by our wonderful panel in the studio to talk through the politics of the day and the disaster that is the Tory party, Megan Gittos from the Henry Jackson Society, broadcaster Sam Dowler and political commentator, of course, Chloe Dobbs. Very warm welcome to all of you. Some of you for the first time in the new, brand new, spanking new studio, which is, <laughs> we're all very proud of it, so thank you for coming in. It's lovely. Um, it is lovely, isn't it? Uh, let's kick off with you, Megan. I mean, um, it doesn't seem like they can buy a prayer, does it, the Tories? I mean, even if, even if they manage to have a success, I can't imagine what it would be, who's going to vote for them? Um, I think lots of people are still going to vote for them. I don't think, um, as your guest said, um, reform are going to do as well as they hope they will, mm. uh, because there's nothing really that the public can buy into. And I know I have sympathy for a lot of Richard Tice's policies, but there's nothing really that the public can grab old, old to that's something they really believe in. I don't think the public can trust anyone with immigration right now. Right. Um, they've been completely let down. I still think around 190 to 205 will be the Conservatives' yeah. final. Um, because right now, Kistama doesn't actually have any policies. No. And he's got backtracked on, I think they, the running tally is about 10 to 13. He's yeah. backtracked on. So we don't know what he thinks. And there is always a massive boost closer to an election. We know that things get closer together. Um, and the public generally can't do distrust Labour when it comes to foreign affairs and the economy, which, of course... They can't really trust the Conservatives with right now right. either. So it's I think it's problem, all to pay it? for. I mean, Sam, it seems to me that some of the poll results from this particular <clears> poll <throat> suggest that Labour might some Labour voters might vote for reform as well, because there's a lot of Labour voters who are yeah. not that happy with Keir Starmer. Um, it seems to me though that um, until I saw this poll, I was always of the opinion that it would probably be a lot closer than everybody thought. But this is a pretty significant poll. It's 14,000 people. You know, it's, it's, it's analysed all of the different constituencies, particularly the Red Wall. Mm. The Red Wall's gone, but it looks... This, this, this poll seems um, pretty on the money to me. And we talk, you talk about the Red Wall. I mean, the Red Wall initially, I think, you know, back in 2019, was almost a vote against Jeremy Corbyn mm. because they couldn't stand to have yeah. the likes of Jeremy Corbyn as, as, their, as their Prime yeah. Minister, yeah. Which, which obviously is not the case now. By, by In fact, in fact they, the Tories have turned us around, so it's the opposite yeah. of that. So I um in my in my constituency, constituency um uh, Grant Shapps is my, yes. is my is my MP. Did you put your little postcode in? Telegraph. Uh, <laughs> I did, and I bought my house as well. Today. Mike could be glad. To oh, good. That's we finally done. This, Brilliant. We moved in this weekend. Well Thank done. You much, Grant Shapps. However, um, you know there is there's you know they're saying that Grant Shapps is going to lose his his position as well as Penny Morden, people yeah. like that. 
This is Jeremy this is, Hunt, go, this is going to be a decimation of, of the Tory party, and uh, and it isn't it isn't to do with the you know I know how Rishi said today like there are there are policies that are working like give them time to work. Yeah. I know he's going to push it to November. But it's not about that. It's about punishment. Yeah. It's about the fact that they don't want them in power anymore. Mm. They want to... I mean, the, our country works in cycles. It's been 13 years of the Tories. It was 12 mm. years of the Labour before that. Yeah. And they've made such a mess of this. It, mm. doesn't, it doesn't matter how things work now. With um, even, if they, even if they cut immigration down, it won't, it won't make any difference. People do and not want the really Tories in power anymore. Happen. It will change. Yeah. Chloe, do you think that's right? That there's not really much they can do? I mean, some people think if the economy recovers a bit, Inflation comes down. If people get a bit more tax in their pockets, a little bit more money in their uh, in their bank balance, that they might trust the Tories to continue. I don't really see it though. So there is a small chance that things could change because you never know what unexpected events could happen mm. in the six months leading up to an election, which we know is an important period that determines what voters do. Um, however, what often makes me skeptical of polls like this is the fact that when people get to the ballot box, even if earlier they say, oh, I'll vote for Labour, they get a bit scared mm. and they err on the side of caution. However, it seems like at the moment there is not much reason to be scared of Labour. Um, the Tories are, you know, making a mess of pretty much everything, so why are they the safer option? Mm. But also, I mean, Keir Starmer is quite a bland, boring figure, and that actually works in his favour because yeah. that's not typically a very evil, scary person. Um, and when it comes to immigration, immigration is the thing. If they manage to, say, get flights off to Rwanda and it is successful and seems to actually have an effect on stopping the boats before the next election... I don't think anyone election, really thinks that's going to happen. Though, yeah, but on the off chance that that did happen, yeah. it would make Labour look scary because we're worried we're heading in the right direction, it's working, we're stopping the boats, and if you vote for Labour, Rwanda's going to get completely derailed. I don't think people want to see flights go to Rwanda anyway. We, they, I, I know that's what the Tories yeah. are doing, especially so people it, like Lee Anderson. It, it, they're trying, they're trying to do a cut. They, they're trying to do like this, this, this yeah. culture war. And I don't think the British people like, I don't, I don't, that, I don't think Rwanda's going to work. But what I'm no, saying is if I, yeah. in some way Rwanda or whatever else, the Tories manage to get a grip on the boats, that will give them a chance to turn these polls I around. think most people do want that to stop by whichever yes, means they yeah. use. But they don't seem yeah. to have a clue as to how to do it. What do you think is going to happen tomorrow with this vote? Um, I think it will go through yeah. I think, to put it really simply, I do think it will go not through. Enough, not enough mixed up they rebels. A, I mean, there's about no, five they had a 1922 committee today, yeah. and um, they all walked out of it pretty happy. Mm. They all seemed, they rallied, they, I think they had a polling expert there. Um, everyone seemed pretty happy. And so upbeat. is it going to veer on the side of the amendments which make it tougher rather than mm -hmm. sort of make it yeah. less tough? I think a really important thing to remember with polls like this, um, for the it doesn't take into account a lot of niche constituencies. Yeah. If you think about the Isle of Wight, it's got now become, instead of just one MP, two MPs. Yeah. And it's got the There's oldest, a load of new boundaries, oldest yeah. constituency. And it's not taken into account um, boundaries and um, MPs uh, having the incumbency vote. It's also not taking into account that when it comes to a general election um, and polling was wrong about Brexit, wrong about Trump and wrong about <laughs> Tories with mm. David Cameron and Boris Johnson, polling does always lean left to the left. Mm. It does always. Especially YouGov polling, and, bizarrely. Yeah, and so I like... A, I do this think is a it's big lean, be a, though. It's going to be a wipeout. It's wipe a big out. lean. I'm not saying it's not going to be a wipeout. I'm stating on record <laughs> that it will be it's between... It's how big a wipeout it yeah, is. Yeah, it will be between... I mean, you guys are all too young to remember 1997, but I remember covering... <laughs> I wasn't born then. ...election night. I know, it's shockingly <laughs> I was, horrifying. I was, I was 2000 born then. I was born then, and I, and I remember it. I was a Tory through and through. My dad was a Tory councillor himself. Like, you know, I was But it was quite shocking. It will be the same here, where people suddenly, like Michael Portillo, 
yeah. suddenly yeah. lost his seat. And then David Meller well, suddenly lost right? his seat. That's a really and, and, now, and now we're going to see Jeremy no. Hunt and Penny Morden losing, losing no, their seat. It's such seat. an interesting point. The thing about Michael Portillo is... I'm from Portsmouth. There's no way Penny Mordaunt's losing her seat. There is no way. This polling, so? this polling is great, but I think some of the people that weren't on the list of people to lose their seats, they'll lose it. Mm. But Penny Mordaunt and... Like, I see Hunt losing it. I don't see Penny Mordaunt. It's so Tory but, there. But yeah, but look at the... Um, are still winning And they quite like Penny Mordaunt. Yeah, but look, but look, at, but look at the uh, level of anger within, within the uh, British population, whether it's to do with uh, the parties, whether it's to do with, like, the mismanagement, whether it's to do with the multiple... No, the multiple prime ministers. I, I know. I mean, even in, even some in someone like Portsmouth, like I think I think they would still. But the want thing to is, in the end, and I think Mercer will hang on as well. Yeah, I'm not saying maybe. that she won't barely hang on, but I think. <laughs> also, in the end, a lot of the vitriol, for example, the sort of the Carol Vorderman, um, you know, side of life, <laughs> they hate the Tories, right? Not everybody hates them. I mean, some people might be fed up with them, and they might say, you know what, I'm going to think I'm going to vote for reform. I'm going to give somebody else a go. But the, the, the vitriol against the Tories is only really coming from one side of, yeah. of the party. That's and one side. Same. That's always been the same. That's, yeah, but what I'm saying is you're making that. out that, you know, the, the country's fed up with them. They might be, but they're not vitriolically hate, hating them. You know, they don't want to chase them out and never see them again. But we're seeing mm. um, here, Chloe, that a lot of um, sort of, you know, pundits are saying this, if they do lose by a landslide, they're out for 10, maybe 15 years. Yeah, potentially. And maybe the Tory party's all over. I can't see that. I, 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 don't, that. I don't see that happening. There is a very, okay. there's a very small chance if there really is a total wipeout that reform manages to replace them. But I, oh, no. I, it's just no I, I highly I doubt that. I, I think, think people like politics. me. I think you, you pointed out quite clearly. It's not the case that everybody despises the Tories, never wants mm. them to, to see them again. A lot of people who are previous Conservative voters, they are Conservatives. I would say I'm a Conservative, mm. but I don't like our current government and I want the party to mm. change and yeah. get their act together. And that is the feeling of a lot of people. Mm. I think we hope that after they sit in opposition for a little while, they will actually pull themselves together. But they can't seem to unite no matter how exactly. bad it gets. Remember when Rishi came into office, you know, the polling was terrible. Oh. Rishi came in with pretty bad polling. Um, and he said, unite or die. You know, this is yeah. a crucial moment. And I have to say, and I have to say, And they like, didn't listen. Look mm. at them still fighting over the Rwanda bill now. Exactly. And, watch, and watching Parliament today when they were, t when they were talking about uh, Yemen, etc. There was respect between between um, the two party leaders, which, for mm. example, you do not see in America. No. You don't see no. that. So I think, for example, even if someone's like hate the Tories, hate mm. the Tories, they don't want to see them decimated yeah. because they're still because they're because they are an institution. They're part of our country, etc. We don't we don't have the hate them until we get rid of them. We have the kind of like you know you shouldn't do that, mm. but come on here, like you know let's course, go down the pub and talk about very, the pub. Very few sensible politicians will ever say they want to go and re regroup in in opposition. No Nobody wants to be in opposition because mm. you can't do anything. And the last time the Tories were in opposition, they were in opposition for a long time. I think a lot of the Tories are really looking forward, if they hang on, to being in opposition. I think they've had... Or having a break. It is Because they get to be the one that's just complaining <laughs> yeah. and just criticising. I think it would be great. I'd actually, well, that's great for I'd us. I prefer being in opposition. Yeah, but that's great. <laughs> do any politics. Well, that's yeah. great for us. People say, to me, people say to me, oh, you'll be absolutely finished, you know, and the Tories get kicked out. I'm like, are you joking? Because that'll be when we start to shine. Because suddenly we'll have Keir Starmer to kick every single day. It'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, listen, uh, we'll talk war. Uh, coming up, you're watching the fabulous Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Coming up after the break, we'll be talking to Talk TV's very own war correspondent to get the latest on all the current foreign brawls. And also, Peter Hitchens is here to tell us why we shouldn't be meddling in the Middle East. Do not go anywhere.
Welcome back. You're watching the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. A US-owned cargo vessel was struck by Iranian-backed Houthi missile after a weekend of retaliatory strikes in Yemen. Rishi Sunak has been very clear that Britain will not hesitate to defend herself again, but global uncertainty abounds and begs the question, is there an all-out war looming on the horizon? I'm now joined by Talk TV war correspondent Tom Much. Good evening, Tom. Good evening, Mike. How are you doing? Yeah, very well indeed. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. I mean, there's a few things to uh, to get through today. Uh, there's a Houthi missile supposedly been fired at a US-owned cargo ship uh, off Yemen. Uh, we've got, of course, um, a Rishi Sunak's statement in the House talking about how, um, you know, they very, very much wanted to avoid any civilian casualties. They believe they've avoided that. But equally, uh, there's still a lot of tension um, in that part of the world, in the Red Sea. There's no suggestion really from the Houthis that they're going to stop, is there? Well, here's the thing about the Houthis. The Houthis have effectively been at war with the West for eight years. There was a, an international coalition. When they took over large parts of Yemen in 2015, there was an international coalition led by Saudi Arabia and largely funded with US and UK weapons and money that was attempting to kick the Houthis out of that large part of Yemen that they occupied. Now, that effort, which was expected to take a month or so, ended up lasting eight years and failing almost completely. So the way the Houthis see it is, well, they've already been fighting this war for eight years. Mm. What's a few more missile strikes or airstrikes when they've already gotten through eight years? So they have no reason to stop. Now, if you compare that to the situation in Lebanon, in where Hezbollah exists, Hezbollah definitely would like to take out Israel if it can. But it is also hamstrung by the fact that many within Lebanon do not want a wider regional war and the fact that they are right next to Israel and Israel can retaliate overwhelmingly against Lebanon. The Houthis, being much further away, have none of those sort of issues. And so, no, they have no real reason to stop these attacks until their demands, which are a complete ceasefire in Gaza, are met. And so as far as what Britain has said and what America has said, um, from what you're suggesting, it's not really going to make much difference. These, these attacks will continue. Well, this is the thing. They have the, the the US and the UK don't really have very much leverage. And because the Houthis, they don't need to do a huge amount of military damage. Mm. For instance, the ship that they hit today didn't actually, there were no casualties, and apparently the ship is still seaworthy. However, what that has meant is that the risks to international shipping through the Bab al-Mandib Strait via the Suez Canal have just increased exponentially. So they don't actually need to kill a whole lot of people, take a lot of territory or do a lot of damage. They just need to make it too risky for ships to sail through that strait. And they don't need that much firepower to do so. And they're demonstrating in quite a canny and cunning way what they can do with the resources available. Remember, they control large parts of Yemen, and so they're more like a state actor than a non-state militia such as Hamas or Hezbollah. No, sure. And today we saw in Tel Aviv there was a, a terror incident where uh, several people were injured after a car rammed into uh, a, a local a group of people. We've also seen a new video being released tonight by Hamas uh, in which it would suggest that some more hostages have died, they say, at the hands of the IDF. 
So it's very, very difficult to really do much with the videos released by Hamas. They're simply impossible to trust or to verify. But of course, within Israel itself, there has been more growing skepticism ever since the horrible incident a couple of weeks ago where three hostages were killed. That has put in the minds of a lot of Israelis that the IDF's campaign, which we all know is very, very brutal, it has put in the minds of many Israelis that they are putting the remaining hostages, it's about 136 of them, at risk. So effectively what Hamas is doing is Hamas is playing on that seed of doubt that has been planted in the Israeli public. Yes, I think uh, they're doing that with uh, ever more alacrity, it would appear, as well. Uh, Tom, thanks very much indeed. I'm now joined by author and columnist for The Mail on Sunday, Mr Peter Hitchens. Welcome, Peter. An uncertain and dangerous world we're living in. Really and, uh, you wisely, I think, uh, opined at the weekend that given that we can't fix our own potholes, what on earth are we doing trying to control the Red Sea? Oh, I think well, we might just have... Uh, very peculiar... Slight technical problem with Peter. We'll come back to him uh, in a moment. Peter wrote at the weekend, basically, that uh, you really can't actually fix the rest of the world if you can't fix what's going on here. Peter quite rightly said, you know, we've got schools, basically, uh, that don't teach children. Uh, we've got organisations that don't work properly. We haven't got much of a defence force, to be fair. But we'll come back to Peter when we can find uh, a slightly better connection. You're watching the incredible Independent Republican Mike Graham. After the break, uh, we'll be hearing the reaction to a damning report which found that girls were left at the mercy of Rochdale's grooming gangs. You stay put. the Independent Republican Mike Graham. I'm now joined by author and columnist of the Mail on Sunday, uh, Peter Hitchens. Peter, I think we've sorted out the, uh, the little glitch there. Uh, and the dangerous world we live in is still just as dangerous as it was a minute ago. Um, the Red Sea. Tell us why you think we shouldn't be meddling there. Well, it's apart from anything else, it's a part of the world from which we withdrew many, many years ago. And we withdrew from it because we couldn't afford to maintain a presence there. And our activities recently, the, the supposed joint American-British attack, uh, was an American attack with a tiny bit of British participation, which, as far as I know, it was guided to its targets by the electronic equipment of the American carrier, the USS Dwight D. Eisenhower. And I don't think we could have done it otherwise. Yeah. Sorry, Peter, we're still, we're still struggling to hear you. I think we're going to have to try and do this another time. Um, but listen, thank you, Peter. Uh, we will get you back in, I'm sure, very soon, because uh, we need to talk at length about some of this stuff. Um, right now, though, let's move on, because uh, a damning report into child sexual exploitation in Rochdale has revealed the extent senior police in Greater Manchester and council bosses failed young girls in their community. And the serious concerns that remain there, with 96 men still deemed a potential risk to children... The Independent Review investigated cases from 2004 to 2013 and found it's probable that at least 74 children were sexually exploited during that period. And in 48 of those instances, there were serious failures from the authorities to protect children from paedophile grooming gangs. And as far as justice is concerned, nine men who ran a child sexual exploitation ring were jailed in 2012, while further investigations have led to convictions of another 42 men but it's clearly not the end of the problem. 
Former Greatest Manchester police detective and now uh, runner of her own foundation, Maggie Oliver, has for a long time been shining a light on the forces' failures in this area. Uh, she joins me now. Maggie, really appreciate your time. I know you've had a very, very busy day. I've been following you uh, and your social media posts today. You were giving press conferences today as well. I mean, it's a shocking report. Many people are saying, well, once again, we're being told that things should have been done that weren't done. Once again, we're hearing that there's still problems going on. There's still lots of people out there who have done harm to children and who have not been uh, punished for it in any way, shape or form. We also know there are at least three individuals who've done time in prison who should have been deported who are still walking the streets. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. Um, I mean, we and I have spoken about this many times, but I think what I want to really um, stress is that I've been shouting about this for 12 years. Yeah. It's been 12 years of my life um, to, to get this report published, which actually corroborates every single word of what I've been saying for 12 years. And the real scandal is that the organisations, the police, social services, the councils, they want to prevent reputational damage. Mm. They want to pretend that these things don't go on. And it is only when they face somebody like me who will not give up, that finally the, the lid is lifted and they have to acknowledge mm. some of the truth or the failures that they are responsible for. But without somebody like me, they all gang together and they protect the organisation. And it's the children themselves and children today who are being failed. And what I wanted to say this morning and, and make it very clear was that this report, yes, focuses on the past. And the chief constable was insistent that things are much better. You know, this is a historical case. Mm. I want to say, because of my work with my charity now, uh, which is not funded by anybody like the police, we are independent, funded by the public. Because of our work, we are helping and advocating and supporting victims today who are experiencing the same neglect the same silencing of their voices. Just like Amber was criminalised and yeah. portrayed as a, a some kind of a madam when she was being horrendously raped at the age of 15. Yeah. Um, we today have many victims who are being criminalised themselves, who are being blamed, who are being silenced. You know, gaslighting. And what we have is a police complaint system that is completely unfit for purpose. When they complain, it's actually the police themselves that investigate that complaint. And if it goes to the IOPC, the independent, independent Office for Police Conduct, actually, they don't even look at what's gone on. Mm. They don't look at the complaint. It goes straight back to the police force about whom they are complaining. So everybody is able to continue this neglect and nobody is held accountable. To this day, Mike, you know of all the towns where these cases have happened. Rochdale, Rotherham, Telford, Oxford, Huddersfield, so many places, thousands of children, and yet not one senior officer has been held to account. This report, just like the Augusta report, officially finds that these cases were closed and done inadequately, unlawfully, I would say, because senior leaders would not put resources into investigating mm. them. And that is a serious neglect of duty. It is misconduct in a public office. So why do we not have any senior officials who are being held to account? 
This report, and I know I'm going on, but there's so much to say. So much. This report makes it very clear that many of the officers, senior officers, approached by the review team to tell them what, to, to share their stories of what happened, refused to be interviewed. And they do not engage with these inquiries. Mm. And, and I draw parallels with the drama that's all over the media at the moment. You know, the one into the post office where you had a whistleblower... Yes who brought it into the public arena. I have been banging that drum for 12 years, Mike, mm. and I would say that the failures and the neglect and the corruption that I have seen in those 12 years from the agencies parallels what I have seen in the drama that I have now seen about mm. the post office. And it took one person, the, the guy, I think, from Fujitsu, who spoke the truth, because until he gave up his um, life to expose what was going on. The post office insisted that these people were criminals. The, the police insist that they are doing a proper job now. And mm. I can tell you that they are not. And I want to see radical overhauls of the system, of the police complaint system. Um, and I want to see chief constables calling out for what it is, a lack of resources, a lack of prioritizing. Uh, they need better trained officers, mm. more experience, more numbers, more money. Um, there's so many things that this report exposes. Yes. And, I'd and, like more, the media and more motivation, Maggie, as well, because it. looking at what they said today and how they reacted to it, let's just get a look at the response from Greater Manchester Police and Mayor Andy Burnham now. I am so sorry that your childhoods were so irretrievably blighted and scarred with such profound consequences. One of the primary responsibilities of the police is to protect the vulnerable from the cruel and the predatory. And in this regard, we failed you. It is only by facing up fully and unflinchingly to what happened in all of its horrifying detail that we can be sure of bringing about the whole system culture change that is necessary on this critically important issue. Now, they say, we failed you, Maggie, but as you say, and you've said this to me many times, it's still going on. There is no way that it's stopped. There is no way uh, that despite what Burnham uh, and the Manchester Police say, um, you know, the people who were involved in it have all left office. They're no longer in charge. They're no longer uh, uh, yeah. able to, ha to harm these, these poor young women. But let's face it, part of the reason why they failed was because they were being told quite often by local councillors who were friends with some of these um, horrible paedophiles not to go after them, right? That is part of the story. Um, I mean, Stephen Watson there, the, the Chief Constable now, um, I went to his predecessor, uh, Peter Foy, in 2011, mm. and I begged him to do something about this. Yeah. Um, he said, if lessons have to be learned, we will learn them. I'm sorry, an apology 12 years later, when those people at the top of Greater Manchester Police knew full well mm. what was going on, is just not good enough. Saying sorry doesn't put right all those years when these children have been failed, when Amber has been portrayed as some kind of a wicked 
madam who is recruiting children when in fact this report makes it very clear and i knew back then she was a child victim of horrendous abuse mm. rapes over a period of years threatened at gunpoint threatened at knife point and yet the crown prosecution service chose because they needed her evidence in court a year after they dropped her um, to put her on the indictment as an abuser that is just not what it what what is right mm. it is wrong it is immoral it is unethical it is not what police are meant to do but i've seen through my journey that they will use any tool at their disposal to silence anybody who challenges them i was written off as a woman who became too emotionally yeah. involved by peter fai who said he'd met me on many occasions and um, you know i had to fight you know to, to challenge mr watson today when he said basically implied that we were constantly speaking to each other he's not spoke to me for two years and right. um, i've heard all these things so many times and if i had a pound for every time i have said that children are being failed that the system is failing them i would be a millionaire these are systemic failures and we need a radical overhaul of the police complaints procedure of the way victims are treated of the training of officers we need organizations like the Maggie Oliver Foundation to come in and stand alongside victims as they travel through the system as it is now they get one officer then another one next week and then another one and they disengage because they are re-traumatized every single time this is a national scandal and this is the latest report in a whole long line how many more before they take action words are easy mike you know this is another sound bite it's gaslighting yeah. things have not changed mm. and i could give you you know a dozen a hundred victims who are being failed today throughout yeah. the country not just in rochdale Right. And I'm told there's another 29 individuals who are facing trial, but they won't face trial for any of this and these horrible crimes that they've been committing for years until 2025. So we've got to wait another year yeah. before even a trial begins. I mean, it's outrageous how long it's taking, isn't it? Yeah, well, I, it, it really is. And um, those children were known to Greater Manchester Police almost 20 years ago. Right. You know, the, the last report was Operation Augusta in 2005, which I also worked on. Um, and that's one of the cases I've been shouting out about. That case has now been reopened after the, the independent review reported in 2020 that once again, that job had been closed down because senior officers would not put resources in. That has been reopened. They were forced to reopen that case as Operation Green Jacket. And that is now over four years since that job started. Mm. And still, those children from 20 years ago are now being failed yet again. No charges have come. No, the case is still under investigation. Victims are being failed yet again. How many more bites of the cherry do they need? They need to listen to victims. They need to listen to people like me who are, I have nothing to gain, Mike. I am not telling lies. Right. I never was. These reports prove that. I am not telling lies now. I am You know that this is still going on. And mm. it isn't actually just victims of these grooming gangs. It is all... Um, victims of violence against women and girls. Yeah. There is a lack of um, care, of compassion, of dealing with them properly. Um, and we need a system that works. We need accountability of senior officers who have failed. And we need a police complaint system that is fit for purpose 
and that doesn't take 20 years to kick in and then we just get an apology that is not good enough and it just won't wash with the British public anymore. No, I think you're absolutely right. Maggie, listen, thank you again for all the brilliant work that you've done and, and I know how selfless you are about it all and I, and I really take my hat off to you. And, and there's still a lot to, to do, isn't there? Because we're still going to have to fight these people tooth and nail for the next 10 years by the looks of it. Yeah, I, I think the, the thing is though, Mike, you know, I was one lone voice. Um, I think the country now is aware because of people like you, shining a spotlight and I have a fantastic team alongside me at the foundation now mm. um, five members of staff 30 volunteers a charity funded by the public but that is so important because I don't want the police or uh, the council or GMCA to be able to silence what I have to say I am the voice of these victims who have been silenced who are being criminalized um, there is another review coming out in within, I would say, the next two months, the, um, the the Baird review. And that will look at what's been happening in the last year of victims being treated inhumanely, uh, unlawfully, strip searched in the custody of Man Greater Manchester Police. We've taken, I think, eight victims now to be interviewed by the independent review. This is a this is a, a, a scandal that keeps on giving. When is somebody going to take it seriously and do something, not just apologise for failures of the past, get a grip of what is going on now. You've just mentioned um, about, you know, these cases not being investigated. Um, we are dealing with one lady now who has complained about rape and abuse, um, and she has been silenced by um, people within within the in, in the force where she is complaining to so th these are repeating failures um and i could go on about this so many strands to it that you know i can't cover all of them mm. but i think that the public needs to focus on those things that this is not a failure of the past it is the present my whole reason for speaking today is to try to ensure that it doesn't become a problem of the future as well, yeah. that people get a grip. And if that means me calling this out um, live to, you know, a senior officer who is really reading from a, a, a PR script, mm. he needs to speak to people on the ground um, and really hear what's going on. Yeah. Absolutely. Maggie, again, thank you so much for, for everything you've done. Thank you, um, Mike. And I'm sure we'll Have be talking on. again, if not before, the next time a report comes out in a couple of months' time. Maggie, uh, thank you very much indeed, Maggie Oliver there. And the Maggie Oliver Foundation does incredible work, so do check it out uh, on social media uh, and online as well. And if you've been affected by any of the issues discussed, please do go to talk.tv forward slash helplines, which is full of relevant resources uh, and advice. Now, you're watching the one and only Independent Republican, Mike Graham. After the break, it's your time to shine. I'll be taking your calls after sharing my fury at today's Taking the Mic. Stay right where you are. Welcome back. You're watching the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. Now it's time for Taking the Mic. quite amazing when you think about it. Just over four years ago, the Conservative Party seemed to have the world at its feet. All-consuming power was firmly within their grasp as they trounced the Labour Party into the dust in an election that supplied Jeremy Corbyn with his party's biggest defeat since the 1930s. As Boris Johnson strode into Downing Street that winter's morning, it was unthinkable that he would not be there for 10 years at least, doing whatever he wanted. 
reshaping the country outside the European Union and undoing much of the damage that had been done 10 years earlier under the Blair and Brown administrations. But look at where we are instead, up the creek without a paddle. And not just paddleless, but with a hole in the bottom of the boat. And no bleeding life jackets on board either. Imagine the scene inside Downing Street tonight. Not the one that Rishi Sunak wanted you to watch over Christmas. Not the quirky, slightly odd Home Alone pastiche. No, I'm thinking it's more like a visit from the ghost of Lady Thatcher. Slightly frightening, incredibly stern and not at all pleasant. After all, who does Sunak turn to now that the party lies in ruins? Who does he blame for the state of the nation? And who can he turn to for one final rescue attempt on the party that once looked invincible? Is it Jeremy Hunt, James Cleverly, David Cameron? They say it's lonely at the top, but for Rishi, this is where he wanted to be. No friends, no allies he can trust, and not very much to look forward to. The Daily Telegraph published a poll of 14,000 people, which shows the Tories will lose more than half the seats they won in 2019. And the reason? Leave voters. That's right. They wanted to leave the European Union, and they saw Boris Johnson as the answer to their prayers. Now they're leaving the Conservative Party in their droves, and they ain't coming back. Add them to the Tory votes that will now go to Labour, to the Lib Dems and to Reform. Then add in the Tory voters who just won't bother to vote at all. And Sunak has a colossal mountain to climb. And he's only really got himself to blame. This year's election is shaping up to be as bad or maybe worse than 1997, when John Major was swept aside by the new Labour machine. Let's not forget it was Sunak who masterminded the removal of Boris Johnson. It was he who could not get enough votes inside the party to stop Liz Truss from succeeding him. And it was he who made those ridiculous five pledges one year ago, almost all of which have turned out to be an absolute crock of nonsense. The Tory vote share is 18 points down in England and Wales. The Conservatives are bleeding on all sides and it all looks rather hopeless. And it probably is. The one thing that could save Sunak's skin is immigration. Still a top priority on many people's agendas, no matter what they tell you. But Rwanda isn't going to sort that. Only a strong policy on letting fewer people in both legally and illegally, will cut any ice at the ballot box. And I'm not even sure he's got the stomach for it. The only other chance the Tories have got is, wait for it, Sir Keir Starmer. There's still time for an own goal and for him to be tripped up by his own side. But don't count on it. I'm afraid it's going to be bloody. Now, I've been asking you, what on earth could Rishi Sunak do to stop the Tories from facing electoral annihilation? Uh, let's see. Many of you have been getting in touch, and you can have your say, of course, on all the socials at Talk TV and on the phones, 0344 499 1000. Let's talk to Ben, who's in Wigan. Hi, Ben. Hi, Mike. How are you doing, sir? Yeah, I'm good. I'm ringing about the Tory wipeout and yeah. what Rishi Sunak can do to... Save himself, essentially. What can he do? For the last 15 to 20 years, before Brexit was just about discussed, mm. if, if Rishi Sunak now supported something, whatever it might be, whether it was HS2, Brexit, something, as soon as they support it, if they show complete support in that, we'll believe in them. Yes. But, but all, we, all we ever seem to have at the minute is somebody who comes in for a few months, Theresa May was the worst one. Yeah. 
He's just, he's just got can... gimmicks, then. Is that what you're saying? He needs to have something that people can actually believe in. I think that's a good point, and well said, Ben. Thanks very much for your call. You're watching the amazing Independent Republican, Mike Graham. Coming up after the break, it's time to meet the postmistress who's hoping to kick Ed Davey out of his London seat. And the Twitter tyrant, Gary Lineker, is back. Go absolutely nowhere. Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Grammy with talk. We're on TV, we're on radio, we're online, and of course, we're on your smart speaker. Coming up, ex postmistress Yvonne Tracy is taking on Lib Dem leader and post office scandal ignorer Ed Davey by standing against him in the next election. She's here to tell us why she wants to bring him down. Today is apparently Blue Monday, but is it just a woke marketing ploy and an excuse for calling in sick? And if it's not enough that we're paying Gary Lineker's salary, the BBC are prosecuting nearly 130 vulnerable people a day for not having a TV licence. Now, I've been asking you, uh, are Rishi Sunak's Tories facing electoral annihilation? I think we know the answer to that. And what can they do about it? You can get in touch with me, of course. The Republic's phone lines and the mailroom are open for business. Call us on 0344 499 Text the word TALK plus your message to 87222. Or you can tweet me at TALKTV using the hashtag IROMG. Now, you might have thought he'd have learned his lesson by now, but of course he hasn't. You might have thought the BBC would now have enough reasons to find him in breach of his contract, or at least the social media guidelines at the state broadcaster. Yes, I'm afraid we're talking about him again, that bastion of free speech, that writer of wrongs, that virtue-signalling sports presenter who so infuriates the right and is so idolised by the left, Gary Bloody Lineker. How many more of his utterings must we put up with? How many more pronouncements do we have to endure? It's now gone way beyond asking him to keep his nose out of politics. Now it's more like, can you just not stop attention-seeking for a month or so, even a couple of weeks? It was only in December when he decided to go on the attack after a couple of Tory MPs and cabinet ministers told him to stick to football. He'd signed a joint letter whining on about immigration, normally his pet subject. The BBC said that wasn't against the social media guidelines because it wasn't on social media. Not until he decided to have a go at Grant Shapps, Jonathan Gullis and Lee Anderson on social media, then it was. And the BBC said it was still OK. This month's Lineker atrocity is about the latest lefty cause celebre, the war in Gaza. The former England striker decided to retweet a plea from the Palestinian Football Association to sanction Israel and ban it from competitions until it ends, in his words, its grave violations of international law. But yet again, the BBC isn't prepared to do anything about it. Strange as well, since I can't remember the last international competition that actually involved Palestine playing. Gary has now removed the offending tweet since even he realised that it wasn't the smartest thing to do to get involved in it. Particularly since, like many lefties of his ilk, he has never actually commented on the horrific massacre of innocent men, women and children on October the 7th. The fact remains that the Match of the Day presenter lives a lie inside his own head. He's happy to support a ban on Israel while at the same time travelling to work at football World Cups in Russia and Qatar. And in the case of the latter, even being in receipt of hundreds of thousands of pounds from the Qatari state broadcaster. Human rights only matters to Gary when it's about Israel, apparently. Some critics have asked the question, is Gary Lineker actually anti-Semitic? I don't think he is, but his ignorance is starting to become seriously dangerous. 
He might get away with it in his own little world, but messing about with international diplomacy and foreign policy isn't big and it isn't clever. Only today, the Hamas-run news agency, the Kuds News Network, retweeted Gary's message with their own words. Renowned English broadcaster calls for Israel to be banned from international football. Politics makes very strange bedfellows. Gary Lineker and Hamas. How proud he must be. Later on in the show, we'll be bringing you a first look at tomorrow's front pages. Before anyone else, we've got an exclusive look at the Sun newspaper, and the paper has an exclusive that says England love rat um, Carl Walker has met his estranged wife, Annie Kilner, who's six months pregnant with her fourth child, and he kicked him out for fathering a second baby with Lauren Goodman. It's hard to keep up with this particular story, but we'll bring you more on that. Uh, also, they've got a story about Boris Johnson, who's apparently made a bid for number 10. It's a new bid for number 10, but it's not actually for number 10. What it is is for the replica door from number 10, which they use in the crown. Apparently, Boris wants to buy it. And he's offering up to £30,000 for a replica. Presumably, he wants to put it in his garden so he can pretend he's still in number 10 and he can walk in and out of it whenever he wants. I don't know. Go figure. I wonder if he's going to get some wallpaper for the new house as well. We shall see. Uh, more of that coming up later on with my panel uh, when we have a look at all the stories that are making headlines in tomorrow's newspapers, of course, as well. Uh, don't forget, you can get in touch with us, 0344 499 1000. We'll take some more calls coming up a little bit later on. But let's talk now to a former deputy postmistress who's hoping to kick Sir Ed Davey out of his London seat at the next election as he's refused to apologise for his role in the post office scandal when he served as Minister for Postal Affairs during the coalition government. Parliamentary candidate for the Kingston Independent Residence Group and former Deputy Postmistress Yvonne Tracy joins me now. And Yvonne, great to see you on the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. So happy that you could join us tonight. I'm going to wish you all the best of luck because I'm hoping that the good people uh, of your constituency will see why Sir Red Davey needs to be kicked out um, because he has, he has refused to apologise and he's of no use, really, to man or beast. What made you decide to run? <laughs> Oh, thank you for having me on your show. Yes. Um, well, really, I think like everybody else who saw that programme, Bates versus the post office, um, I was angry. Um, and I just thought, my goodness, how can I help these poor people? Um, so I just thought, you know, Ed Davey is my MP. I've lived in New Morden all my life. Uh, I'll stand against him. I'll be a voice for the postmaster. So I'm standing on the ticket of... Uh, Yvonne Tracy, independent um, candidate for justice for the sub-postmasters and sub-postmistresses. Yeah. And it's going to be a brilliant campaign, isn't it? Because, I mean, everyone's going to support you. Ed Davey, and I know it's probably, some people would say, unfair to blame him for everything that went wrong, but he certainly should have at least been a little bit more, you know, shall we say, questioning of what was going on around him. For him to come out and say, well, they all lied to me, so what was I supposed to do? Well, you're supposed to have a bit of, you know, gumption and presumably a little bit of a critical eye on these things. And he should have asked more questions, shouldn't he? Oh, absolutely. That's it. Of course, it's not just him. My goodness. Loads of people have got... Fujitsu should answer. The post office should answer. But by the time Mr Bates had collected years of um, documentation and got names of hundreds of postmasters. And when he went to Mr Davey, when Mr Davey was the postal minister in 2010, there was so much um, information 
and um, evidence. And so you're right, Mr. Davies should have thought, hold on, we haven't suddenly got hundreds and hundreds of postmasters stealing thousands and thousands of pounds. Um, I've got to look into this and be robust with my questioning. So this is the thing. Um, what did he ask? What was he told that made him think, no, actually, these hundreds and hundreds of people are stealing. Yeah, exactly right. And, I mean, he's had plenty of opportunities to say sorry, which he still hasn't actually done. You know, he's quite a pompous individual, it seems to me. So um, are you hoping to um, sort of come up against him in, in some kind of debating scenario? Would you like to do that? <laughs> I don't know, because uh, I'll be absolutely honest with you. I'm not a politician. I'm just a 68-year-old grandmother who wants to help these poor people. <laughs> and Mr Davy can be... Well, he is a seasoned politician. Uh, he knows all the things to say, bless him. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know. Um, I wouldn't shy away from it yeah. if it happened. But I wouldn't relish it, I'll be honest, because, you know, the Liberals... A little bit unkind, I think, sometimes. Well, with I was going yeah, to ask you about that because I see from your social media account on, on Twitter that the Lib Dems have been sort of trying to destabilise you and some of the local kind of, um, shall we say, campaigners around you are not very happy with you from the Lib Dems, are they? No, uh, as the day I announced it, well, I think it was the day or the next day, I'm not quite sure. Uh, yes, two, two Liberal Democrats decided they put up lies about me online total lies, uh, saying that I've been investigated for racial hatred crimes. I mean, do you know I've never even had a parking ticket, let alone been investigated for any sort of crime. So, so I was shocked. I said, are they allowed to tell these lies? Yeah. Apparently they are, unless I go to a lawyer and um, start legal proceedings, which I have done today. Right. Uh, I, I'm... Um, going after them for defamation uh, of my character and I'm asking for damages. And when I get the damages, I will be giving the damages to the Postmasters Horizon Fund. But isn't it a shame mm. that this is the way I've got to go because to shut me up, the little person, they're telling lies and bullying about yeah. me. And let's be honest, this is how we're in this mess in the first place because the little person had lies told about them and were bullied, and now they're doing exactly the same to me. I, I'm amazed it's allowed, but I say that apparently the only way is for me to go down the legal route, which yes. is what well, I have done. Well, I'm glad you've, you've, you've done that, because this is, this is like sort of the sealed smear campaign tactic, isn't it, where politicians put stories out there, usually about each other, but in this case it's more despicable because you're uh, an ordinary, as you say, grandmother running for office. You're a councillor already at the moment. How have the, how have the local council um, sort of treated you since you decided to run as an MP? Well, what the... Two people who have tweeted online, one of them is one of my local councillors, uh, John Sweeney, a Liberal councillor. He was one of the ones who put the tweet, so that tells you something. Huh. Um, and the other lady, uh, Hina Bakara, is a Liberal London Assembly member, but apparently she's got form for doing this sort of thing. So, huh. But um, it's sad, isn't it, when they, the, they think, I know, let's bully this lady into yeah. going away, because... It is uncomfortable, it is horrible. Uh, and I say that's how we got in this place. Mm. This is how we got in this state, by bullying and lies. So I'm not going to go away. Yes. And you were a postmistress for 20-odd years. Um, did you have any kind of bad experiences with the Horizon lots and, 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 with, um, and with the prosecutions and all of that? No, I knew about 
um, I knew about the prosecutions and different sub-postmasters having trouble, but I worked for the branch office in New Malden, which is slightly different. It still had the horizon system, mm. but it was you worked for the post office rather than yourself, and the problems did seem to be with the sub-postmasters, I think, because it was just slightly different. At, yeah. uh, when you declared your cash once a week on a Wednesday, it was done slightly differently. So I can only think maybe that was where the problem was somewhere mm. along the line, although not that we've been told, but the so, no, the branch offices didn't seem to have the problems with the Horizon system. No, they didn't. But it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, you must have wondered at the time, because I think a lot of us did at some points or other, came across the story. I mean, I probably five or six years ago saw um, a story about it and did something on the radio about it way back when. But nobody, I think, quite gathered how big the problem was or how huge uh, the numbers of people were who were affected and, and wrongly accused. No, oh, of course I knew that in the post office there was, you know, stories going around, you know, how come all these sub-postmasters are suddenly stealing? Um, but I think we, uh, watching that programme, I was shocked at the scale of the people whose, whose lives and livelihoods have been affected. So, yeah, that, that's what made me think I've got to help these people because yeah. what I don't want, at the moment everybody's cross because they've seen that programme but people forget, and I don't want this to go away because the postmasters haven't had justice, they haven't had answers. In most cases, they haven't had any compensation. Mm. I think about 11 people have been paid out. So I want to keep this in the public eye um, until these poor people get the answers, get mm. the justice, and get people held to account. And maybe a few people saying, do you know, I'm sorry. Yeah, I think so. And some people also think, and I don't know whether you're one of them, uh, Yvonne, that some of the kind of officials involved, certainly some of the uh, post office employees and management in the post office, you know, might face the odd uh, charge as well because some of what they did was deliberate. It wasn't just negligence. They deliberately um, smeared people. They deliberately told lies about people. They were incentivised, weren't they, uh, with bonuses to actually get as many people convicted as possible. Yes, and even after they knew there were problems, and I think they knew there were problems years and years ago, um, certainly by the time Mr Davey was the um, uh, post office minister, mm. um, and yet they were still carrying on prosecuting people. So you're right. These people must be prosecuted themselves, surely. Yeah. This wasn't mistakes. This was maliciously prosecuting people when they knew there was a problem with the Horizon system. Exactly right. And if you were able to send a message today or tonight to Ed Davey, what would it be? Do the right thing, Mr Davey. You've stood up and asked for enough people to do the right thing before now. 30-odd people, I think, he's asked. Mm. Now, you do the right thing. Stand down. You, you, you didn't help these people when they asked you for help. You weren't robust. Stand down. I think that's a very clear message. Well, I'm going to wish you lots of luck, Yvonne, and um, I'm hopeful we'll talk to you again between now and whenever the election is. So um, um, if anybody wants to find you uh, online or anything like that, should we tell them to, to look out for your Twitter account? Absolutely. Councillor Yvonne Tracy, and it's Yvonne at Yvonne New Malden. Yvonne, great to talk to you. Good luck, and we'll talk to you again Thank soon. You. Well done. Um, I think the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, as I've said before, uh, we don't endorse parties, we don't endorse um, ideas necessarily, but we will certainly endorse occasional uh, contestants, and I think we should endorse Yvonne there, a former Deputy Postmistress of New Malden,
post office. You're watching the unstoppable independent Republican Mike Graham. After the break, I'll be listening to what you've got to say. Plus, it's time to hop on a flight to the world of woke. Do not move. Welcome back. Tonight I've been asking you, is Rishi Sunak's Tory party facing electoral annihilation? Well, yes. Uh, but you've also been responding to the Rochdale report into those police failures. Lots of you have been getting in touch. Uh, you can have your say on all the socials at Talk TV and on the phones as well. 0344-499-1000. Let's hear now from a caller. Catherine is in Swindon. Hi, Catherine. Hello, Catherine. Hi. Hi, how are you? What can I do for you? Hi, I'd just like to say that I think Police were failed by the. Hi. Yeah. I turn ra- like turn the radio off, Catherine. The thing, which is completely disgusting. Yeah. I think that the police were failed by the background of political correctness. Hmm. Yes, I don't think there's any doubt about that because clearly they didn't want to investigate because they didn't want to find anything that might cause them some kind of embarrassment, did they? Yeah, I mean, if they had tried to do the right thing... Yes, it would have been helpful, but they didn't, and that's the trouble. And all we get now is, we're terribly sorry, we failed you. Well, we're talking 20-odd years ago. If they tried to prosecute these men, they would have been lambasted for being racist, Mm. which is the current abysmal crime. Yes, it's a shocking state of affairs, it really is. Catherine, thanks very much indeed. Uh, Catherine there in Swindon, uh, with a view that I'm sure a lot of you will have, which is basically that the police should have done better. They shouldn't be just able to get away with apologising and saying, oh, sorry, we messed up for 20 years. And they're still messing up, as we heard um, from Maggie Oliver. But now, let's have a bit of this. Have you been feeling a bit blue today? I mean, did you struggle to drag your carcass out of bed this morning? If you did, why the hell did you feel like that? It's just like every other Monday and every other week. It might be a bit colder, and if you left the heating off, even your toes might have turned a bit blue when you stuck them outside the duvet. But seriously, blue Monday? I mean, what the hell is that all about? According to the experts, it's the same every year. The third Monday in January is the day people feel the most depressed with life. Many of them have run out of money after an expensive Christmas. And the rot is really starting to set in after getting back to work in the new year. Well, I'm here to tell you it's a load of old codswallop. And worse than that, it's actually designed to convince you to spend even more money. Because it will also not surprise you to know it's an invention of the wokists. Who else would let you convince yourself that you're depressed because of a particular day? Who else would allow you to be such a snowflake that you had to take the day off? And you can even set out a rational reason for it. That's right, the woke. In truth, Blue Monday was invented by travel companies who all want you to book a summer holiday to banish the non-existent blues because nothing brings a smile to your face like looking forward to the sunshine. Tragically, of course, it works. The woke love any excuse to get out of work. Well, I'm here to tell you not to give in. Don't surrender to the commercial prerogative. Don't submit to the tyranny of wokery. And by the way, cheer up, it's nearly Tuesday. Well, I think it's pretty clear what I think about Blue Monday. What does the panel think? They've all come back. They must have enjoyed it so much the last time that they've come back for more. Um, Blue Monday, anybody been affected by it? You all look pretty happy today, actually. I've, I've been affected by it, I mean, for sure. 
Um, I think you, you look know, happy enough to me. Well, I'm a happy person, yeah. as, you, as you know, facially. Yes. Um, but Are you crying inside. Isn't I'm it? crying inside. Really? No, well, it's, it's <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's miserable. It's it's it's, it's, jan not miserable. it's January. Why is it miserable? No, my friend, my best mate has the, uh, he has his his birthday next weekend. It's right. Saturday, and he was like, oh, I was going to have a party, and now they're like, no one's interested. Nobody wants to do anything in January, and they don't generally. I don't everyone, know. If everyone's that's true. everyone's a bed in in January, and like and like and go on like go on about their own business and yeah. not particularly go out do anything specific. Just like and 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 Blue Monday is it is a real thing. Like and I know you. you Crack but on about really. crack on about wokery. I, like I think being it's being, real. being woke being woke being woke doesn't mean doesn't doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing. Does it mean like you're sensitive to like how you feel or how other people feel? You know as well as I do, Sam. It's become something other than that. It's not any longer created really by the people like yourself, Mark. No. Well, not created by me. I mean, I wish <laughs> I was that talented. I wish I could you know, enforce my own views on other people. But at the end of the day, uh, being woke now is all about wanting an excuse not to do something. You well, know. That, the world that is, is full of people what, who don't fancy going to work. But that isn't what it means. For example, but that is what for it example, means. I saw I saw, I, I saw um, a new movie which is like the, a, re, a redo of Mr. and Mrs. Smith with uh, Angelina oh, yeah. Jolie and and that didn't Brad seem Pitt. Like it was that and it was a black man. It, it, was a, really? it was a black man and an Asian woman. And right. Everyone was like woke. It's gone woke. And blah, is it blah, still blah. called Mr. Why and Mrs. It, Smith? No, why is it woke? Because it has people of colour in there. Is it still I don't, called I don't Mr. Understand. Mrs. Smith. Like, it's, no, woke is just used as, 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 as a catch-all. You have to stop talking occasionally, like. Sam. I'm sorry <laughs> to have to break this to you. What is the name of the new remake of Mr. and Mrs. Smith? Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Okay, fine. Well, so I don't really care, but I mean, at the end of the day, I don't care if they want to remake films, but usually the remake is not as good as the original. But it's not woke because it has people of color. I didn't call it woke, though, so yeah, I don't know who you're arguing with. But now you're saying that woke is like people who don't want to go to work. It is. Like, it's it not, is. It's I think, not, Blue, it's not I think Blue Monday. Bad. I think Blue Monday is real. I think yeah. January and February. Are you feeling sad today? <laughs> I was, except for coming here. This is the highlight of my day. January and February are miserable. It's cold. She was born in 2000. That's why. Exactly. We get no vitamin D. I actually got. I had vitamin D deficiency and got really ill actually because of British. It was sunny today. You can take pills for that as well. I do now. I have to take loads of pills. Right. It's it was sunny today. But I still go to work. Okay. I'm not. I'm not working. Today was nice, but generally speaking, it's pretty cloudy and cold in winter. It's Britain. Yeah. It's woke if you feel the need to take work days off work. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. But if you're miserable, but you still get on and you go to work and you get it done. Yes. I don't think that's work. That means no. they're, not, that means no, they're not woke just to go no, to work. But, but it's still the case that we are miserable But if you January, fall February. for the wokest idea that, you know, you'll feel better if you book yourself a summer holiday <laughs> because you can look forward to some vitamin D. Yeah, you need D. something to be excited I mean, about. In well, have you got nothing to be... How old are you? 23. You've got nothing to be excited about. You're 23. Yeah, I, mean, I, come on. I get excited to go to bed at 9.30. Really? This is part of my bedtime. <laughs> Well, I mean, that depends I'm on in the bed, I suppose. Uh, Megan, what do <laughs> you say about Megan, Blue Monday? Think. I, um, I think Megan's by far and away the most sensible person here. I think And I include well. myself in that. I agree. Well. I think it's woke. And I never usually... There you go. <laughs> See? Clearly a very I'm intelligent joking. woman. No, I'm joking. But I. Uh, this is the first I'm hearing of it. It's honestly the first I'm hearing really? it. It feels like a non-issue. Apparently it was invented, I'm not joking, it was invented by Sky TV um, to basically sell... <sighs> Summer holidays, because people, they want people to book summer holidays yeah, now it's... because it starts to bring the money in and they start to make people think, oh, I better think about where I'm going to go. I'm going to go Montenegro. I actually year. had a really you lovely day. Italy. Italy. And that, and that like... does make sense. It's like, but but see, seasonal dysphoria, for example, like feeling like... like Seasonally affected disorder, some people Sad. do that's suffer a, and from. That is, and, that is a, and that is a real thing. Yeah, like, but then for, you don't for... just have it every third Monday in January. You have it all <laughs> the time in winter, don't you? 
I mean, that's no, my point. You don't have it in the lead up to Christmas. Because exactly, what, what yeah. I do in the lead up to Christmas is that even though it's cold, right. I try to psychobomb myself. It's actually myself warm leading up into to Into thinking that the, that, that's a young that the thing. freezing cold weather is festive. That's what I tell what myself. Psychobomb is like tricking your brain. <laughs> tricking yourself. Yeah. Don't have to. But Why are you tricking yourself? I trick it sounds, myself it into sounds thinking. Aggressive and it does. I, and I, I make the cold. I, I tell myself it's festive to yeah. get myself through it. Right. But then after we get past Christmas, right. I just can't. I can't trick myself like that anymore. It's simply miserable. Well, that's January is miserable. You can only fool down. yourself once, is what you're saying. Exactly. Right. Okay. But if I have a holiday to look forward to, maybe it won't be as miserable. I mean, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons not to like January, but I'm just puzzled why the third Monday is somehow the day that everybody decides to do it. It's because people like to do things in groups. You know, they love... I mean, mm -hmm. look at it. Um, I think it was International Pothole Day today. You know, <laughs> yeah, when I was younger, they never used to have a day. There's a day for everything now. So there's Blue Monday, International Pothole Day, let, let, you know, let, International let, Fried let, Chicken now, Day. Let, well, let's not forget Black Friday, Black Friday Cyber which, Monday, which, which are made up for, yeah, for, for the sales, same reason. For the same reason, yeah. Black Friday is a commercial operation of which course. goes on for weeks. Yeah. I mean, how sure many times did, did they tell you it's Black Friday? I'm not sure International Pothole Day is a commercial operation. Well, let me tell you, Grant... It is because because you know what cars are now getting more and more damaged by potholes and actually insurance companies are saying that um, they will not insure your car. But that's true. The, the AA have been speaking up a lot they have, today. No, it's, abso so maybe. It's, it's absolutely Stick with the me. truth. I, I, you I don't have, have to trick your brain. No. I'll tell you the truth. And I, I have I have you know uh, encountered some potholes in, in you know in the in the recent times. Have you? And, it is, and, it, and, and I bu and I burst a tire. Let me tell you, Mike. Burst a tire. And let me tell you, Mike. I changed it myself. Did you? I called the AA. They were like, oh, it was 180 pounds for a call out, and I. And I looked, I looked in the back of my car and I was like, do you know what, I can do this. Yes. And I did it myself. Good for you. Thank you. So you've got your own jack and everything. Oh, I jacked it right up. Well done. <laughs> uh, see, most people don't know how to change a tire. Um, because you have they to don't. do an awful lot of things to get under the car. You have to put it in the right yes. place. You've got to be very careful. You don't make it collapse on yourself. And Mike, you I, was hit by a lorry. I was, I was I mean, moving. I would not I be doing that. that. I'd be no. calling you because you seem to know what you're doing. He does. Well, I, you know, I try my best not to get too many punctures and I try my best not to hit any potholes. You know, I just drive around. But, I mean, it's a serious problem mm. in this country. Far more worrying, I would say, than the third Monday in January. What about that man that put loads of pot, pot noodles in a pothole? That was, that Where was, is he? Where is he? Well, he is Mr. Pothole. I mean, he is actually known as Mr. Pothole. We have him on the show quite a lot, actually. Yeah, but that was a bit of a stunt. That was a pot noodle stunt. So you've just given them a free advert now. Um, but, you know, I mean, it really is incredible what goes on out there. And I think, I think the more that we kind of kowtow to these, you know, group activities, the worse we're going to be as a society. I think people should be individualistic. I don't think you should do anything with loads of other people. I think is wrong. That's my. Including going to church, for example. If you want to go to church, go to church. But yeah, one of the reasons I don't go to church is I don't like doing things on mass with loads exactly. of other people. I agree. I'd rather do things on my own. I mean, I quite like visiting a church and walking around it and looking. Oh, at me it. too. Yeah. Um, but I'm not really that keen on the mass, to be mm. honest. Mm. But I didn't think we were going to talk about religion. <laughs> Sorry, in this particular I don't... thing. Yeah, that was quite a tangent. No, yeah, <laughs> it was anything I could think of. Why don't we of, talk like, about Yvonne uh, Tracy, who we just interviewed, who's running against Ed Davey? Well, did, did you have a chance to watch her? I think she's great. Sub postmistress runs for election. Imagine she could be the new Martin Bell. Do you remember Martin Bell, the man in the white yeah. suit who stood against um, uh, Neil and uh, Neil Hamilton? And won yep. and got himself into Parliament. I think she'll beat Ed Davey. But I do think I do think it's great. And Ed, and Ed Davey, like I, mean, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with you know the, the pitchforks and the and the and the torches to try and get him because like, I think I think that's a little bit ridiculous. Well, nobody's however, got any pitchforks, but she's entitled to however, run people are for saying, office. But 
he was, you know, he he was there, but so were the, so was what was it Nick Clegg? What there's was it? loads um, of them. There was, there's, there's loads there's, of them. But he that, was actually the post office minister. Yeah. He so doesn't seem afraid... to want to say sorry and take any no. responsibility for it. No. If he put his hands up and said, I "I'm sorry, I'm sorry," he's never said sorry. No, he's basically said that everybody lied to him, and therefore it wasn't his fault. Because they all didn't oh, tell the truth. Oh, we said but we didn't have regrets. the information. And we should yeah. praise the power of television, frankly, mm. for doing for doing a such a, a bang up job on ITV yeah. on on the show that it actually got into government. I mean, the, I, I saw the director talking about it the other day, and he never thought that anything like what's happened right. would happen. But like, because mm. this has been going on for twenty years, it's ridiculous, and then suddenly they see like you know, um, you know, some some household names like you know crying and saying like, oh, this is you know, this is this has happened with the like, and suddenly everyone's like. <gasps> The, where was where was the uproar? A lot before? of people. So, funnily enough, a lot of people said to me that because of the timing of of the show, that's kind of why it became such a big thing. Yeah. Because there wasn't really much else going on. Yeah. There wasn't much other news really to In talk about. In between the wars. And sort of yeah, yeah. Nobody wants to talk about war. They'd much rather talk about the post office. To be honest. Yeah. I mean. No, people do. Yeah. They do. And I mean, post offices used to be a massive part of the fabric of yeah. society mm. in this country. They're not really anymore. I mean, you'd be hard pushed. I mean, I happen to know there's one around the corner. In a cost cutter, no doubt. But there's not. No, there's actually a proper post office where you can go in and get things done that you get done in a post office. I went and renewed my driving license, but you can't find post offices in most rural communities because no. they've shut them all down. Well, they're all hidden in the back of a WH yeah. now. Yeah, right. Exactly. Or a customer, like you said, yeah. Yeah, it's, and, and it's really... And the rural mail is not what it was and, you know, people don't use it so much anymore. And the whole thing is a complete mess and, and the company itself is a complete basket case as well. Mm. Well, these are things like people don't necessarily use snail mail, do they, anymore? Like, they don't... I can't... I mean, if you, and when was the last time you wrote a letter to anybody? Well, like, for, ex for example, my mum, it's, it's her birthday on Christmas Eve and right. she, got, she got a load of cards, like, all from, right. like, older relatives. I mean, I don't send Christmas friends. cards anymore. No, nor do no, I. I mean, no. because, because obviously, as well, environmentally, you wouldn't necessarily That's want, not the reason. Like, that's the reason I would. I'm just too lazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like, I don't care about the environment. I've you're told so you lazy, you're helping the environment by your laziness. Well, I'm, very possibly. There's always benefits. I mean, there can be. Well, I, I waited mean, until the... I remember I waited until sort of the 21st, and I was like, right, I better go out now and do my Christmas cards <laughs> and send them first class. Yeah. And then I saw a news article saying anything that goes in the post now, any Christmas cards, um, they might not arrive until mid-January. So I just thought, oh, sorry then. Mid-January? Mid-January. I mean, I well, find... The, the story was that, that apparently the post office were prioritising parcels way more than cards because yeah. they were rushing to get all the Christmas presents out. But also all the cards were just being chucked at the back of the pile. Yeah. And so that was the story, is if I sent a card, it wouldn't turn up till mid-January. No. So I just I just told everyone, right, you're not getting well, a card, Well, to be honest, you're Sorry. lucky if you post something that actually gets there at all. Mm -hmm. yeah. you know? And I remember, I think it was Christmas before last, when we looked at, um, there was a post office sorting office down in Bristol, and all the presents were sitting outside getting attacked by rats and I foxes. No and that way. was the original beginning of my rat impression because there were literally rats <laughs> ripping open because there was chocolate and stuff inside some of these packages. And they were, and they were literally, um, people were going, these are my presents. There's a city there getting ripped apart <laughs> by rats and foxes. It was horrible. But special delivery, however, does... Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Um, Mike, that is, try, that's quite chilling. I try not to that's do it too chilling. much, but I can't help it. You know. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people like as soon as, uh, <laughs> as, soon as, oh, as soon as I start talking about rats, I just no, kind it, of it, do it. It's horrid. It is. But special delivery, can I just say, does does work does very it? well. Next I, day. Because I, I said that, I said when I moved house yes. at the weekend, I said to my mum that I left something very important, a key, yeah. I think it was. And she put it, she put it in a, a jiffy bag, it was with me the next day, and I yes. assumed it would be like there Monday, but it wasn't. It was I'm the always next shocked day. if I order something online and it comes by, you know, Parcel Force or something, because you kind of yeah. forget that they exist. You know, <laughs> I mean, I remember the old. I mean, I, this is too many stories about the old days, but 
Parcel force, it used to be the case that you'd put a parcel, you could put a parcel on a train mm. with parcel force and you would literally give it to the guard and he would take it to Bristol or whatever, hand it to somebody else at the other end and you could get it there the same day. Yeah. Amazing. It's yeah. You know, but they don't do that anymore, unfortunately. I used parcel force to send a box full of books to America and it arrived the next day. A box of books? A box of books? Uh, so I actually, Sounds expensive. I went, I, <laughs> I like went out there while, in the middle of revising for my A-levels. Right. I had to send all my folders and books oh. um, in a box. It cost, it cost me, I think, about like 30, 40 quid. Is that ne all? Yeah, next day. Like, literally, I'm talking like a Sounds huge, like a mistake. Very, very the next heavy day. box. Arrived the next day. But then... Before I, you did. I figured it would be the same coming back and then realised it was going to cost about three, 400 quid right. to send it the other way. So I was like, uh-oh what do I do? So I ended up checking a load of different suitcases yes. um, in the end. Oh, well. But now, we've got a few other stories to talk about. Um, the weather, we've sort of mentioned, you all you don't, you don't like. I actually like the cold weather because what? it doesn't rain. I love winter. I prefer, um, I prefer it to the wet. I'd, like, I'd, yeah. like, okay, it to, I'd like it to snow But I'd rather bit. it be summer. Mm, I'd like yeah. it to snow. It's going to get quite cold this week. It's going to go down to sort of yeah. minus six. Yeah, but it's but minus two now. But we were talking about this, weren't we, earlier when we were talking about how cold it gets in America and where you actually get proper proper weather forecasting as well, because mm. I was once in America and I got an alert on my phone. I was driving the car and it just started going, whoop, whoop, and there's going to be a blizzard at 1.13 in the afternoon. And there was, <laughs> literally on the, on the button oh, wow. of that time, this blizzard came and hit Connecticut where I was staying. Um, and it was so bad that you couldn't drive in it, because that's what they get. But we still have this problem, don't we? Um, you know, the trains are all kind of to cock for one reason <laughs> or another. There's, they've announced more strikes. There's going to be more strikes at the end of January. Um, but even over Christmas, everyone that I spoke to who was trying to use a train, you know, they were cancelled, the weather was, yeah. uh, you know, no good. We had the, the, the Eurostar floods. floods underneath the London um, the river. Just hopeless, isn't it? I mean, do you guys, any of you guys travel by train? Every yeah, time, every, time. Like, every time as well, like, you don't, you... Now, as I said, like, my family lived down in Devon and you don't assume that it's going to work. You, you yeah. assume well, that it's not going to yes. work. Yes, well, we did a story and last is, week. And that is, yeah, the, and that is, and that is wrong, I mm. think. You should be able to uh, have have the um, courage yeah. in, what, in, what we, in, in, in our own system, yeah. which costs a fortune. My son, right, who lives, um, or who goes to uni up in Manchester, has got a girlfriend who lives in Keele, and he can get from Manchester to Keele quicker than he can get from his house in Sussex to Hawks, to, <laughs> to um, Shoreham, which is also in Sussex. That's like three trains to get to see her. You know, so he obviously must be in love with her. But, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. Every time he was trying to get a train, it would be cancelled, he couldn't make it, he couldn't get home. You know, he ended up having to go back the way he came. And these strikers are just going to carry on until the Tory party lose the election, aren't they? You know, Mick Lynch is not going to stop striking. No, of course he's not. I don't, I don't think he will. I don't think it's that. I don't. I don't think they're doing that on purpose. I think they are. I think they. There is a problem in the system. A massive problem yeah, in the system. There and is they a maybe, And they the maybe. They think, don't like the Tories. Well, no, but they maybe think that Labour might be able to sort it out. And as I said before, like it's been. It's been 13 years of Tories, and it hasn't worked for a lot of people. We're in a very dire situation. So therefore, let's give the next government a yeah, chance. Yeah, but you know what's going what's to happen is they'll expect Labour to help them out, but Labour won't have any more money. I mean, we had Sadiq <laughs> Khan solving the tube strike last week because he, got, them he gave them, money. he found 30 million that's quid. It, I know, that's the only way it works. I mean, disgusting, come Well, yeah, on. but now the next time they want some money, they'll have to, he'll give it to them again, won't he? Won't, There's he also not going to be much money if they bring the economy to a halt by stopping anybody from getting to work and then, you know... You know, mm. you know, go through the motions there. If the economy's failing, we haven't got any money to spend, blah, blah, blah. Then how are we going to fund their pay rises? But we're not going to be able to. It doesn't make sense. And also, you know, I think it's quite easy to not realise how bad this problem is. Money. Yeah. Sorry, go on. 
That was I, all I wanted I think, to say. I think they're talking the, themselves the out of jail. Pretty but, soon the train company's going to go, do you know what, we don't really need drivers. Oh, I, used to, drive I, used to, I used to have to take the train to school when I lived in Cornwall. I think people in London don't realise the train only comes once an hour yeah. in yeah, Cornwall. So if yeah. one gets cancelled, you're, you're sat there for ages. Yeah. Yeah. And so many times you just get cancelled, cancelled, mm. cancelled, and then you'd have all these rail replacement buses. Yeah. Uh, so many Which times... Which go at the speed of I didn't get. I didn't get to school until like two in the afternoon just before it was going to end. When you have an exam, the thing that gives you the most anxiety before your exam is, is my train going to turn mm. up in the yeah. morning? Um, I used to get the train at like five, six in the morning just because that was the only way I could safely know that I'd actually turn up at school on time. It's shocking. But, but this is the main problem. I mean, outside of London, people really struggle to get yeah, around. Yeah, they do. That's why yeah. so many people But as we were talking about with AI, if, if let's say, uh, playing devil's advocate, if, let's say, that we let AI take over the network and everything run on time, Everything worked perfectly. Wouldn't we want that? Yeah. Well, they wouldn't so. want more than sixty grand a year, would they? They wouldn't want anything lost. because they're AI. Exactly. You don't have to pay them. But would there be an AI version of Mick Lynch? <laughs> You're must, a liar. Must, You're a liar. Must um, right, listen, we've got loads of news stories to look at. I want to talk to you about Carl Walker. I'm going to talk to you about Lily Bett, the name that was given to uh, one of Harry oh. and Megan's kids. That's actually a story from yesterday. We want to do it. You're watching the irrepressible independent probably Mike Graham. After the break, we will have a sneaky peek at all the front pages and much else besides. Also, 130 people are prosecuted every single day for not paying their BBC licence fee. It's an absolute ridiculous situation. Stay exactly where you are. Welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. You don't have to look very far to see where the problems are at the BBC these days, whether it's millions of listeners deserting their national radio stations or millions switching off their TVs altogether, whether it's the killing off of sports programming thanks to a woke agenda, or whether it's inserting ridiculous storylines into dramas just to make sure they pass the diversity and inclusion sniff test. But there's something more sinister at work than just the wokeification of our state broadcaster, and it's something about the bosses at the BBC should hang their heads in shame. A Talk TV investigation has found out that nearly 130 people are prosecuted every single day by the BBC for failing to pay their TV licence fee. Many of them are suffering from crippling medical conditions, but that doesn't stop them from being fined a 1,000 quid for their trouble. It's a disgusting and exploitative practice that should stop immediately. The BBC is going after elderly people in their 80s and 90s, many of whom are suffering from dementia and cancer, they drag them through a dehumanising court ordeal before rinsing them for the fine that they often can't afford to pay. And believe it or not, the sheer number of prosecutions makes it the most common crime in the country, excluding motoring offences. The vast majority of cases are brought against the poorest in society who can't afford the 159 quid price of the licence. And one legal charity fears there could be the same level of miscarriage of justice that we've just seen in the post office. 70% of the cases are brought against women, and they're all decided by one single magistrate, given special powers to speed up court hearings for low-level offences. Culture Secretary Lucy Fraser says that prosecuting and fining people for not paying their licence fee is morally indefensible. And I think she's absolutely right. It's cruel, it's vile, and it's got to stop. The licence fee should be revoked. Maybe Gary Lineker would like to stick up for these victims for a change. Well, these are some shocking numbers, aren't they? Imagine that many people being done, and an awful lot of them are people who don't really know why they're being done, they're, they're not able to pay the fine for one reason or another, or they're, uh, you know, they're suffering from some disease or, or, or some you know, problem or other in their, in their personal lives. A lot of people who are carers, 
You know, and it's really wrong, it seems very to surprised. me. I'm very surprised by such That they should go after huge, so many people. Such, such a, a huge, huge number. number. And, yeah. and, and, and for there to... Like you said about the... Like you said about the show with the um, with the post office, yeah. like this this is almost like if you if you dramatise mm. this mm. and you showed older people, like I'm a big advocate for the BBC. Let me just say, mm. but I don't, but I don't think that they should be going after, as you say, older people. They and really and if they dramatised it, then people would be up in arms. And you to see some old lady go go through the court system, yeah, and pay a fine. Well, a lot of the no. people that they go after just don't understand why they're being targeted. They just so therefore, don't is, really is it get a money making scam? Well, they must be making money. If they're finding a thousand, there's 40 odd thousand people a year being done times a thousand pound fine. If you get a thousand pound fine, go on, quick maths in your head 40,000 times a thousand. <laughs> that's a lot of money. It's 400,000 pounds. It's about 40 million, isn't it? Well, look, the real problem here is the license fee <laughs> itself. What? The reason isn't why. It... <laughs> what, 40,000 times a thousand? Maybe. Add 40 40,000 pounds is 40 million. It's 400,000. 40 million. No, it's 40 million. I'm a math teacher. Yeah, there you go. It's 40 million. But anyway, the key problem You guys should be working in the Treasury. Yeah, don't employ them. It's a shocking mistake that you've made. 40,000. I'm an English graduate, not a math. 40,000 times 10 is 400,000, right? Yeah, that's why. Times 100, it's 4 million. Times a thousand is 40 million. million. Yeah, okay. Yeah. No, Three I've zeros. Got, yes. I, be, I believe you. Yeah, I agree. Oh, that's good. <laughs> okay. Right, anyway, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm glad you've noted it down for us because <laughs> yeah. now I really understand. I'll, I'll, I'll be giving you a test later. Um, <laughs> front page of the mirror, um, the Royal Royal Rumble's on. This started yesterday. Royal Inside is quietly celebrating last night for a new book claimed to reveal the truth behind the row over Harry and Meghan's daughter, Lily Bett. It said yesterday that the Queen was outraged at the fact that they didn't really bother to, sort, to seek her permission for using the name. Um, so, you know, Harry and Meghan in trouble again. I suppose you're going to defend them, are you? Um, I'm, I'm, not, not no, I'm not going to defend them, no. Thank God for I, that. Think, I think it's... Um, I think it's... I mean, do we really believe, like, a, a source says that the Queen says? Well, I think, I mean, these, I think these, there's no these, question. Yeah, they, is... they, 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 it, certainly makes, it certainly makes good reading. Well, I know Robert Hardman. It certainly Robert makes Hardman. good tabloid reading. Robert Hardman is a very estimable author. I know him very well, and I would believe everything that is in his book. Honestly, and now they've taken that... I mean, it's drama. I'm not well, saying I'm someone not saying, didn't I'm not tell saying this him story. that. Yeah. Someone probably did tell him that. Yeah. But I just don't... It's just a family dispute. And do you really need to ask someone's permission what you name your child? It reeks like the well, Queen would the, say that Well, I think if the person involved is the I, Queen, I probably should. I expect the Queen yeah, probably really loved different. her grandchild and really loved any child that he produced. Yeah. I think... Those two are really annoying. And they are very annoying. Super annoying, and I don't side with them often, but she, pro the Queen actually probably didn't m mind them. Well, no. you don't know that, though, do you? No. She probably, well, thought, it, she probably well, thought it was quite she was sweet. Furious. Well, I can understand not. why she'd be furious, because by giving the child a name that you know clearly relates to the Queen, you're trying to show that your child is I'd something... I'd be Mm. If it was my well, not, when, it's, not when it's these the, people the who are just trying with, with to ruin pair. the royal family. Right. Why think, would you want them to be a family? I think in their family, I think it's probably more complicated than mm. she thinks, oh, they're trying to ruin the royal family. I think it's probably a little bit I think more we all know why that. they chose the name because they of wanted the, the name of to course. reflect on the Queen and they wanted like, to go, oh, yeah, where'd you get that very unusual name from? It gives them kudos, but I don't believe that the Queen, like the Make it, 
they're kind of making out the Queen to be like curmudgeonly, like, and that isn't the Queen that I like. I think to she think might have of. preferred to have been asked, and then he's not. Probably, but we don't we know don't whether she know. was or not. Well, Robert Hardman says she wasn't, so <laughs> I believe him. I believe he was told. Yeah. By his yeah, source. I'm sure it's true. Let's look at uh, three <laughs> front pages all about Rwanda and this big vote tomorrow. Mm. I will defy Euro judges on Rwanda flights, says Rishi Sunak. Now, he says he's going to defy the uh, Euro judges, but he won't, will he? Because every time <coughs> the Euro judges tell him he can't do something, he doesn't do it. Sunak will speed <laughs> Rwanda appeals in a sop to the rebels, is what it says on the Times. Um, a Tory deputy chairman to rebel over Rwanda bill. That's the story we talked about earlier with Lee Anderson and Brendan Clark-Smith. I mean, the Tories really don't seem to have a clue about how to even present the United Front, do they? They can't do it. Well, I mean, Sunak is saying here that he'll just defy the Euro judges, but yeah. we know that the um, Prentice, the Attorney General, has said clearly several on several occasions that she believes that this is not lawful right. for the Prime Minister to defy the Euro, the European I judges. mean, the thing about the European So it's court. quite likely that she would try and block this. Yeah. I don't think it would be an easy ride for Rishi to just ignore a European judge, which is why you have all these rebels so desperate to make sure there aren't there isn't the ability mm. to appeal to the European courts yeah. for your asylum case. The problem is, is that, you know, the last judge that said that they couldn't do something was not a European judge. He was in the, in the Supreme Court no, Supreme of this Court. country. And so if we, they've managed to now convince that judge that it's not dangerous in Rwanda because they've made a law that says it isn't, <laughs> I'm not quite sure that that really bears any great uh, resemblance to any law <laughs> that is, I've ever but seen. But this does nothing for their election hopes. No. Banging on about Rwanda. You can guarantee if you went to go and speak, some, speak to somebody in the Red War, like, what do you think about Rwanda? They'd be like, what are you talking about? Right. Well, nobody I, don't believes, care, I don't even care about Nobody that. believes it's ever going to happen, which no. is why it hasn't so had why, any So why keep on banging that drum? Here we are tomorrow with another thing they've got. Yeah, exactly. Right? And, and, and no one cares about that. And even and even if they did get it through, it's then supposed to be a deterrent, and then that's supposed to deter people from coming. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's like one thing, yeah. one thing, one thing, one thing, and, that, we and did, none um, of it works. At Henry Jackson Society, we actually did some polling, got to uh -huh. plug it here, <laughs> um, with energy security um, to do with the war in Ukraine. Yeah. Of course, massively related, and actually it came back like huge swing, the public, the two issues that they cared about most, cost of energy and cost of living. Yes. Third to that was then immigration. Yeah. And it was a mile off mark. Yeah. I think a lot of it depends on where people live as well. Yeah. Depends on where, where, you know, whether they're being affected by it at any particular time. Pictures of Donald Trump on the front page of the uh, <sighs> Telegraph. Trump set to deliver in Iowa. The Iowa caucuses are going on. Uh, basically now, as we speak, voters heading to the polls to pick their preferred presidential candidate. He's got a load of pizza boxes. Um, <laughs> Trump caucus those. captain. He's got a new hat as well. I'm I not, love the hat. I'm not sure how. I, I mean, he's he's caucus, they're caucusing now for. I mean, so Nikki Haley is um, is one of his biggest um, um, opposition rivals, people. Yeah. yeah, rivals. I mean, I mean, he's not going to really have a problem getting the nomination. Well, no, no, he isn't. But also, but at the moment, obviously, as you say, in in Iowa, it's about minus twenty. It's about minus two here. It's about yeah. minus twenty in Iowa, and they are expecting people to come out to caucus. But like, imagine, mm. it's like it's like it's like uh, saying to yeah, the but... conservative people, like you know, you got to go out and say whether you want no, this. No, I really disagree. Like in minus 20. I really <laughs> disagree. Like. Iowa take it really seriously, their they role in this. They it's do. Like cultural and also, they don't, they don't get put off by the snow because they get it every year. And they all stand up and cheer when it's someone's first time at a yeah, caucus because yeah. everyone in that whole town knows each other. Well, they all stand up and cheer. How do you think it's going to turn out? Because I know that people say they would vote for Trump because they're being asked to. Or I'm not sure there. how it will turn out. I think, I think I don't think anyone get the thinks nomination. Trump won't get 
the nomination from the I think they'll get the, the nomination and I do think people will go out. It's always that cold in Iowa. They take it so seriously. Yeah. The whole country's on there. And whoever the gets the, the nomination, watch, it's, they the get the big mo. The is the margin of victory yeah. that he gets because yeah. I believe uh, is that if he gets something like 38% of the vote, then that would mean that he'll probably steamroller everything else, you know. But it just depends on how. Well, then it how goes. Big to, well, then it goes to New Hampshire, and then New yeah. Hampshire people are saying that maybe Nikki Haley might win yeah. New yeah. Hampshire, and it's then and then. But we're lots of weird things happen in New Hampshire. I mean, New Hampshire sometimes yeah. produces, you know, yeah. But it is kind results. of the metropolitan elite kind yeah, yeah. of yes. New Hampshire. It's yeah, it very. Um, the Republicans like to pride themselves on being a little bit more left wing yeah, than the rest. They do. Of, like. So it, the northeast is a strange But also part. the votes are, the votes are up and down anyway because like um, you know Ron DeSantis for example says that um Donald Trump isn't uh pro life enough or like Nikki Haley's like says you know that they they're all they're all coming across the problem for Ron DeSantis is not purposes. popular enough for anybody to take exactly. notice of it. I mean that's the problem. We've just got some breaking news for you back on the royal family a new official portrait of the king has been unveiled ahead of being hung in buildings across the UK as part of an 8 million pound government funded scheme there it is um I like it. It doesn't look that different from other pictures I've seen of him. No. Um, it says here, the photograph shows the king in his full military regalia wearing his Royal Navy uniform because he's an am uh, admiral of the fleet. Um, <laughs> he was photographed in the Grand Corridor at Windsor Castle. The way they specified that, so you didn't just think he'd just put on a Navy uniform. Yeah. Like, well, he's apparently the admiral he is of the, the fleet. He's not playing dress-up. <laughs> I'm not sure what, how big the fleet is. I don't think it's big anymore. Um, he was photographed That's last year by Hugo Bernand. Anybody heard of him? No. I haven't. Bernard. Uh, no, Bernand, oh. B-U-R-N-A-N-D. He also took the King and Queen's coronation portraits and their 2005 wedding photos. So he's obviously... A, it's a, a lovely colour on Prince Charles, on, on King's Charles, however. Yeah. Like, it's the colour of the Elizabeth line. Yes. And a very, you know... Actually, I think he looks very away, dashing. He does. He does. does. Well, I'm glad to see some, some support for the royal family. Um, I think he looks From Robert Hardman's book also, on the front of the Telegraph, uh, the Queen's family nickname for her was Lorraine. <laughs> what do you make of that? Oh, that was quite funny. That is quite funny, isn't it? Very good. Yeah. Now, let's talk about Boris Johnson because he's on uh, uh, Inside Pages of the Sun. We talked about this a bit earlier. He's uh, apparently this... making a bid for number 10. This story is hilarious. It's great, isn't it? It's absolutely hilarious. It. So, Boris Johnson has decided to bid for a replica of the number 10 door that was used in, in the crown, uh, which I think is currently, the bidding is going at around 30 grand at the moment. 30 grand That's for a, a door. That's a lot of money for a fake door. But clearly he's so salty that he didn't get to be prime minister for the second time after we kicked out Liz yeah. Truss, that he wants to make- Do you think he's make... still hoping to get back in? I wouldn't be surprised. You know, when um, it goes horribly wrong. <laughs> so if he can't uh, re-enter number 10 himself, he'll have to make his own house look like number 10. Yeah. And put it's on a this bit like a folly, door. isn't it? Yeah, Maybe he'll even get a cat that looks like Larry well, as well, just to really add... Exactly, and let's look, let's look yeah. at pictures of Instagram pictures of Carrie, like, draped on the... And it's a really, really expensive on wallpaper on the side of the, uh, the room. <laughs> yes. Now, we got, can't let you go without the favourite word of the year. Um, a favourite children's word, it comes to the Oxford English Dictionary for last year, 2023, is climate change. So they can't even make up a word which is only one word. Vitally so. My, my, nie <laughs> my nieces who are 12 and 14 are very involved in climate change and they think it's very important and very oh, yeah. vital. Have they taken any time off school in order not to learn about how one well, word is not they, they had to have the time off because of Blue Monday, obviously. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they've been feeling the terribly joke. hard done by <laughs> Well, listen, um, thank you very much indeed. That's all from me tonight. You've been watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Thank you to all of my guests. Uh, fantastic panel. I'll see you tomorrow at 9pm, only here on Salt TV.